0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Perceptive Podcast, where we discuss the art and craft of game design. I'm, of course, Josh Beister, and we have a great cast for you this week. We are returning to a very favorite topic of mine, discussing roguelikes and roguelike design. And my guests tonight, they are currently working on the game Guri, which if you are a uh, Game Wisdom YouTube fan, you've probably seen the first look video on that. So please welcome uh, to the developers from Spawn Point OSK. So,
1: if you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves. So, uh, hi, uh, I'm Ilbo. Uh, <laughs> uh, Finnish names are really really a bitch for uh, uh, you know people outside Finland. So you can just call me Oddi in case you need to. By the way, so yeah, uh, I'm a programmer and also uh, also I'm doing uh, some of the mon- well monster graphics right now in the game. And also uh, I've been doing uh, a lot of the, a lot of marketing stuff. And I'm uh, also like uh, uh, in charge of uh, keeping our website up to date and such. Good.
2: Hello, my name is Risto. I'm the lead designer. And, but Ilbo has been helping me with the design quite a lot. So uh, we'll be both speaking about the design here, but I've been mostly making little 2D graphics also and some level of generation code and stuff like that. But um, music producing, uh, basically everything, because <laughs> we, are, we are a small team. So. We'll be making interchangeably everything.
1: Yeah, but 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 basically the uh <laughs> is that uh Risto is kinda of, kind of the uh you know lead designer, lead lead programmer, lead about mm. a bit of everything. <laughs> 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 basically, and then uh you know, I, I support a lot of the stuff. Right. Great to have
0: you guys on, and uh, just as a quick pause, um, you can we. You don't need, uh, it's fine if you guys want to turn off the video because this will just be an audio cast, just for this discussion. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. okay, okay. Yeah, because oh, oh, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want you guys to be uh, be with too nervous on camera that <laughs> no one else is going to see you. <laughs> okay. Okay. okay, but yeah, like I said, if we do decide to do something live at some point, we'll be more than free to use video for that.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, but, Yeah. Risa's <laughs> told me to, you know, grab grab a webcam, so I, <laughs> I thought that it would be necessary, but yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe I
2: misunderstood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no problem. All right, uh, back yeah, to it in... actually be a little more helpful. We can
0: sit a bit more comfortably. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, uh, back to it in three, two, one. It's great to have both you guys on. Uh, like I said a few minutes ago, uh, we I did do a first look on Gertie. It will probably be by the time people are listening to this, about two months ago. And we're going to try to time this cast to the early access release of the game. So, I guess to
2: begin with, how long have you guys been working on Gertie for? We've been working a little bit over four years currently.
1: Yeah, I think... Uh, wait, it was... We uh, hit our four-year anniversary, like, was it uh, the 1st the uh, of October? Yeah, so, yeah, not too not too long ago, so, yeah.
0: All right. And I guess, uh, to begin with, since this is uh, both of you guys' first time on the cast, I figure we'll start with kind of talking about, like, how things got started and how this uh, game industry scene is. So, for people listening to us right now, you guys are located out of Finland, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, this is a few questions I always like to ask my international guests. How is the game dev scene in Finland right now?
1: Do you want me to take this? or Yeah, it'll be yeah. context. Hmm. Yeah, so, well, of course, you know, feel free to jump in if I forget anything. But uh, uh, the game scene here in Oulu has uh, always been, uh, well, I'd say in Finland in general has always been kind of, you know, lively, if a bit on the smaller side, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's been... Uh, he, oh, there's always been like this uh, de- demo scene culture here in Finland, and I don't know. D- do you know of the uh, you know what I mean by demo scene? Demo
0: scene? Uh, not
1: right off the top of my head. If you want to explain that? Feel free. Yeah. So basically, uh, people here used to make uh, you know, well, they call them demos, but basically they're like audiovisual little uh, programs, basically okay. that they try to make uh, as uh, cool of a you know. Uh, audiovisual program into uh, as little as tight a space as possible, uh, as uh, low-end hardware as possible, basically.
2: Yeah. So there's been like assembly since something like '93 or something.
1: Yeah, and assembly mm-hmm. is uh, the largest uh, convention of of uh, you know game game, uh, demo game scene. Yeah, demo <laughs> demo scene and nowadays gaming convention here in Finland. Yeah. Okay. I guess, um,
0: are there any uh, smaller studios or uh, games that have been released out of Finland scene? There have been quite a lot
2: of games. Uh, Actually, in Steam, you can follow the curator made in Finland, and you can see all the games that have been made in Finland, at least on PC. Yeah. And there are quite many mobile game developers also.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially now nowadays. But uh, as, but there's you know been a couple of the uh, bigger hitters uh, also here from Finland like Remedy. You you've probably you yeah. know of Remedy, they make you know Max Payne, Alan Wake, now Quantum Break. They're one of the bigger ones. And then there's uh, on the bit smaller side there's like Frozen. Is it Frozen Bite? Yeah,
2: Frozen Byte. Yeah, I mean, and, uh,
1: Trine. Oh yes,
2: I think House Mark is the longest living. Game company in Finland.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They made like, uh, was it Stardust? Like, is isn't that what of their Gun games?
2: And quite a many, yeah, shooter games. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and of course, then there's like uh, the a bit oddball ones like Red Links. They made the Trials games, which mm-hmm. like originally started as, a, as Flash games and then. They've made some, like, like TV, like, I don't even know what to call them, like, TV mobile games that you, you know, you, let, no you send text messages to, uh, <laughs> to take part of a game that runs on, the, on a TV broadcast and, <laughs> you know, all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. And, of course, we have Angry Birds coming from uh, here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're a small country, but we're, in a way, well-known abroad but still, we, we're also uh, kind of a small, you know, small scale, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, uh, country. In the, in still, yeah. regardless. Mm-hmm. Now uh, here's a
0: new question. Like that I'm starting to ask a lot more of my international guests. Are you guys aware of like how like a uh, game dev has developed in terms of like courses for either high school or colleges around Finland? Or is that something that you guys don't really follow that much?
1: Well, as it would happen. Uh, here in Oulu, like uh, which is the city we live in, uh, uh, there is actually a very, like I think it's probably one of the bigger training programs in here in Finland, probably at least one of the bigger ones, uh, called uh, Oulu Game Lab, which is basically you know uh, very specifically a game design you know course or training program or however you want to call it.
2: Yeah they make a game demo in 4 months with the students and uh then you can continue four more months to make a real product out of it. So it's been very popular popular during like 6 years or something
1: running. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's been running for yeah, something like that. Yeah, six years.
2: I, I think that they have taken the concept uh, abroad.
1: Yeah, abroad uh, and also to a, a couple other cities here, here in Finland. Finland at least. Yeah. yeah, and of course you know there's also you know other game developing courses and such in uh, universities and uh, like vo- yeah maybe the, the vocational schools and such.
2: Yeah, maybe the uh, kayani kayak game mm-hmm. scene has been around quite a while also.
1: Yeah, I think so, but I, I can't
2: remember. Yeah, they have a longer game design courses there.
0: Good. Yeah. It's always great, like when I talk to a lot more international guests, to hear kind of how the scene has developed around the world, and it. Yeah, um, hopefully, like obviously, Finland has certainly grown with ga- with names like Rovio, Remedy, uh, Marquis and so on. So it's always great to kind of hear how things have developed like, along those lines. I guess as another question for you guys, you now you said that. Uh, you start with Gurdy about four years ago. Um, have you guys made other any other games previously, or is Gertie like your first big
1: title? As far as like as a published title, it, this is the first one, okay. of course. Like, uh, well, Risto has made his <laughs> <laughs> like at least one like like finished product. Uh, if you yeah, say yeah. It, it, it was button. on a
2: game lab. Actually, <laughs> there was a, we were making a mobile game and mm-hmm. it is released but uh, I don't think that it sell- sold any copies. <laughs>
1: mm. <laughs> so yeah, a student project. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you know, we're we're both hobbyists uh by trade, so we have a uh, tons of you know our, our private and other projects that we've mm-hmm. been working on for you know years and years. But uh but yeah, uh, this is our first major product. Okay? And uh, since we'll be talking
0: more about Gertie in a few minutes, especially talking more about roguelike design later in this cast, for people listening to us right now, could you kind of give the elevator pitch for what Gertie is?
1: So basically, Gertie is a uh, sci-fi themed uh, top-down shooter with roguelike elements, or roguelite, however you want to make the definition, because it seems to be (laughs) rather fluent, and uh, it focuses uh, highly around uh, uh, the fully destructible terrain and kind of making your own path, and building up your character with items and perks, and uh, eventually making it uh, to the boss, killing them, killing aliens on the way, and then eventually beating the game. And that's basically it, I think.
2: Yeah purpose is being a very challenging game so that it's sh- it should challenge you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess that goes
1: the roguelike thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: And I just love again the conversation between what is the difference between a roguelike and a roguelite? That always seems to be coming up more and more on these casts whenever we talk about roguelike design.
2: Yeah, um the, the roguelikes are pretty well defined if you follow the Berlin interpretation. Mhm. So you have to have procedural generation of levels, uh, unidentified potions, (laughs) it should be turn-based, ASCII graphics mm-hmm. <laughs> and such.
1: Yeah, the Berlin interpretation is very like old school. It like it's it's a, it's a dungeon crawler. It's randomly generated. There's these very specific elements and such. But then, on in the you know act, actual uh, game sphere, when you say roguelike, people don't really think about that most most of the time nowadays. So yeah, yeah, it, it's really how you how like. <laughs> uh, how strict you want to be about the definitions I guess yeah so when you go to
2: the rogue light uh, you usually take the procedural generation and permanent death
1: yeah, from those, the list yeah those are usually the two two most popular elements that usually end up in rogue lights I guess <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yep and trying to get the game to be like replayable or have that level of variance is always a very difficult task regardless of whether it is a roguelite or roguelike but uh with that said i guess uh, getting back to talking more about gertie in general and then we'll get a little bit more specific in the next few minutes i guess where did the inspiration for gertie come from when you guys
2: first started this is a very easy question to answer, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 2012, I was playing Risk of Rain quite a lot. Oh, yes. I, I think I clocked uh, 70 hours into it, and I wanted to make a game that is like Risk of Rain, but mm-hmm. uh, with top-down perspective. So that's where the inspiration comes from.
1: Yeah. And then so. the... Like, uh, how we... then. I I don't actually remember if you, like, directly pitched it to us uh, as what we began creating, but there's this old Finnish classic called Mine Bombers, Mm -hmm. which is basically a top-down, like local uh, versus in where you you know dig treasures and try to kill the, the other players with bombs and such and you know we basically decided like, hey risk of rain plus this old classic uh, mind bombers let's combine those and make it like a, a roguelike digging game with uh, treasures and such and that's kind of where it began
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: Alright, so yeah, I remember um, Risk of Rain, definitely a very interesting title, again um, I'm sure, as you guys are aware, I'm sure just as the people listening we have seen so many different variations on roguelite and like design these la- this past decade, it's definitely been a very great time for the genre
1: Yeah, there's, there's been a whole lot of <laughs> games game in the genre gotta agree, yeah uh, mm-hmm. many
2: many many popular titles yeah like dead cells mm-hmm. Enter the gun oh, Gen, yeah. Nuc- nuclear throne
1: yeah and I, I think uh like it's also uh kind of bleed into the uh, uh game development or like like the game scene in in general as a whole like I, at least I feel like a whole lot of games nowadays tend to have more, like, procedural-type elements, or, like, it, it's become a more popular thing nowadays, so then I'm just, you know, <laughs> imagining it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's suddenly become a case of, like,
0: everybody is trying to create their own unique spin on it. And I guess for you guys, with starting Gertie four years ago, how, I guess... Is the game kind of like kept to like your original vision, or has it changed in like any noticeable ways over its development?
1: Well, I would say the very core has stayed like quite true, but then the details have changed quite a bit <laughs> down the way. But like, okay. uh, like I kind of just said that, like, like combining those two games uh, previously mentioned we originally we were at least part of the image that i had at least and i think we talked about this that that there was supposed to be a higher uh, emphasis on like you know treasure collecting and such but then again Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays uh, there's only you know there's this currency of course that you can collect but you know it's not really that much of a treasure collecting thing (laughs) but yeah
2: yeah, um, going back a little bit to the Risk of Rain inspirations. So we have a commando, like the first character, like in Risk of Rain. We have teleporters, we have bosses, <laughs> we have mm-hmm. quite a lot of uh, same thing. We have a, basically a timer that says that you're going to have to move on quickly. So with uh, actually, one of the major uh, redesigns was the items that we have. Because we had uh, Risk of Rain-styled item shops and chests at first. yeah, And then we changed it to the forges. So it's not that random because uh, design changed because people couldn't <laughs> really read what was on the chests. Like in the Risk of Rain, actually, it was a, quite a bit of a problem.
1: Yeah, like, uh, when you're in the heat of the action, uh, like, uh, shooting monsters and such, and you come across a little shop, uh, if you try to stop there to read stuff, and the game just keeps Mm -hmm. running, it it really doesn't, you know, mesh well. So, when we went to the Forge design that, you know, you kind of, like, open the shop, and the game pauses, and you can actually, you know, take a breather, it just worked way better for the, like, flow of the game, that you don't really have to rush your decisions so much. Mm Yeah.
0: Now uh, speaking about pausing the game and such, uh, pl- I'm just just curious, and this is also my clarification as well. Does Gertie? I know you have local co-op play. Do, will Gertie feature
1: online multiplayer at some point? I uh, would say no. Yeah, <laughs> okay. we, we'd hope we'd hope it to, but uh, in reality, if it will, it will be down the line, probably past the mm-hmm. full release. But no promises on that. Like we okay. tried to uh, make that happen uh, during development when we had a a, a little bigger team at one yeah. point, mm-hmm. but uh, sadly, you know, as our team has, you know, kind of kept changing during the, the during the years, uh, it just fell out of scope. We we really can't, you know, focus on mm-hmm. it too much right now. So it might not happen at all eventually. Okay.
0: All right. Yeah, and that is certainly fair. Again, especially for. Any game, even like regardless of role like design, game multiplayer to work and be you know a beast in of itself for a lot of different designs.
1: Yeah, like one of the things you know <laughs> you hear very often is that if you're gonna make a multiplayer game, like especially like an all- online multiplayer game, you really should you know uh, decide that from the you know go yeah from the get-go because it it will affect so many things and when we you know started you know making making the multiplayer however far we got with it we you know we definitely you know noticed that that uh, there were certain things that really had to be thought that okay how do, we, how do we actually make this work and such and of course bringing it in now we would have to you know make a whole lot of Well, there there might have to be some changes to the game. Um, So it would be quite a big deal to make now. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, with Gertie, I guess one of the questions I had, like, from what I played during the first look I did about a few months ago, uh, for people listening to this recorded, in terms of balance, are you guys, like, Aiming the balance to be consistent with multiplayer or local multiplayer, or is it built around single player and things kind of scale up depending upon the number of players?
2: Uh, how do you say this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm more like a single player guy mm-hmm. and I'm the lead designer, so I think the GERD is um, more uh, to the single player side balanced. But uh, Ilbo here likes <laughs> local <laughs> multiplayer, <laughs> so he has demanded that it
1: works with four,
2: up to four players. So
1: well, I don't know if I've <laughs> it, but, but yeah, I try to you know make make sure that the balance stays uh, to a you know to a degree at least uh, good in co-op as well. Of course, you know, well, like Chris said, it it is definitely more single-player focused when it comes to balance. But we, you know, try to make it make sure that there's at least some challenge, or if not that much challenge, at least a whole lot of fun to be had in the <laughs> co-op. All right, because that, that now, is, it's really hard to balance both equally, so mm-hmm. yeah, might as well at least keep it fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, a few minutes ago, you guys
0: mentioned the various classes. I think you mentioned the commando first. Uh, I guess in terms of design, how did you approach the four different classes
2: in terms of like what you wanted out of them in Gertie? Um, well, with different characters, we wanted to make uh, different kind of play styles for the player so that it would be replayable on that end. So mm-hmm. we have currently four characters, so you can a- uh, at least play it four times. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think if there have been... Many big decisions based on that.
1: Yeah, the thing the thing is, well, of course, you know, uh, everything began with the commando. Like, we want to make a you know a pretty simple to pick up all rounder character that you know anyone can play. And of course, ne- next came you know Magnus, our me- melee guy, because we want like, hey, let's make a melee guy. That'll, that'll be you know different, at least. <laughs> yeah, that'll be different, different and cool and such. But then the uh, <clears throat> we for the longest time we you know we had plans for you know the other two characters but since we it took a long time for us to actually you know uh, get around to making making them playable their designs changed uh, somewhat during during that time but uh i'd say at the core they they've stayed pretty much the same like for example uh unum uh the point of him was to make make, make it you know a kind of a scout character and although you know it, it's not really what we originally designed. He's at least very different from the other uh, other characters because, you know, teleporting around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not uh, something not, none of the other characters can do. Mm-hmm. And another part of the game that I thought was
0: very interesting kind of this will probably be a good segue where we'll begin to talk more about roguelike design in general, was kind of the progression system of Gertie, which for people listening who haven't seen the video, um, what you guys did was you get those various like rank up or promotion stars based on how well you play, which you can then use... To essentially buy new items that can show up in subsequent stores. I guess where did you guys like come up with the concept for that, or
2: like how did you start developing that po- that system? Uh, with the perk system, uh, we took, uh, liking to the Crimson Land perk
1: style uh, upgrades. So that's the main design point for those. Yeah, but but the mm. uh, the items on the other hand, and like the unlocked system in general that actually has gone through quite a few like uh, revamps or redesigns or at least evolutions let's mm-hmm. say like the very original way we dis- we thought of doing it was you know basically again re- like in risk of rain when you get an achievement you get a new item unlocked and that was kind of the system for the long- longest time but then <sighs> Actually, it wasn't that long ago that we really started thinking about the fact that, you know, if there's some item you really want, but the achievement to get it is really hard, that is that really, you know, fun for everyone? Of course, you know, some people really like the challenge, but then for other people, it might be a bit of a, you know, <laughs> pain. Yeah. <laughs> so we started thinking, like, could we, like, make it so that you can, you know, just play the game and eventually get everything, even though you don't care that much about achievements, or then if you like get just get some achievements and then, then you can decide like, what do you do do with kind of like the stuff that you get out of the achievements? So, like how to best put it in, like make it more like general and abstract. And that kind of led to the idea of like the, uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I just want to say preem currency, but that, that's not really the right word, but you get the idea. The, the, Uh, promotion stars as you said or as we call it fame that you know whenever you do you know you get levels in the game you progress further you get achievements you get fame which then you can use to unlock whatever you want to unlock next if you want more playable characters go for it if you want uh, a cool item go for that so Mm -hmm. again more choice like more freedom of choice for the players to do as they wish and not just making so that only the uh, achievement hunters get to experience everything Mhm.
0: And you guys also have the I saw the challenge list as well. Where you can turn on uh, various modifiers and then uh players can be war with fame if they complete those challenges as well. Yeah, that that
1: was also a uh, kind of a well, I think we've talked about that for a long time. I think it was—it's kind of been always your your baby more. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it was like other
2: games have challenges. We should have challenges, <laughs> kind of situation. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's basically just you know, for those people who really want that, you know, a little bit of extra gameplay. That you know, it, it's there for those kind of people that you know, you you get some fame. You can use that fame to get some more, you know, content to sink your teeth into and such. Mm-hmm. Now
0: here's a question that I've been curious about. Where did the name Gertie come from
2: for the title? <laughs> <laughs> you know the movie, right? The Moon. <laughs> ah, okay. uh, it has the robot Gertie in it. Uh-oh. Because with our original vision, we had uh, clones that we are sending to these planets. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we kind of it from there.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, the thing, like, uh, like, very, like very, originally, like we we used to call this uh, project Deep Tunnels, but uh, surprisingly, that's not a very uh, <laughs> like a marketable title. So yeah, at some point we we had to start thinking about a proper name, and then we inside the team we came up with a couple ideas, which Gertie was one of, and then uh, we flipped the coin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think at the end we flipped a coin, but I, th- I think before that there was a, some kind of vote to whittle it down to a couple of a couple of choices. Yeah, two. we
2: had uh, Geotenic and Gurdy as our options.
1: Yeah, I think th- <laughs> those were the final two options, and then we then we just flipped a coin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so very, very professional market research and all that. <laughs> yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um let me see there's oh uh, one other question that i want to ask you guys about with gertie is the fact that for people listening to us you guys had a demo up for the game as well what how long has the demo been available for people to play uh actually
1: almost four years now <laughs> yeah yeah like uh the thing is one from the very like almost <sighs> well i'm actually gonna check this right quick (laughs) because like from the when we started developing we wanted to make it sure that you know the game is testable and playable for people at a very very early stage so so yeah let's see in february 2015 i think we had our first prototype build live on our site like uh of course, now we have, you know, the demo on Steam, but for that, uh, for the longest time, we had it uh, playable on our site originally as, a, you know, like the, the un- using the Unity web player, which is, of course, mm-hmm. now pretty much dead. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we moved on to, you know, just uh, standalone builds. And now, of course, we are in Steam, which is, uh, of course, a bit nicer and more helpful for visibility. But yeah, the demo has been kind of public for years now. <laughs>
0: I guess um, in terms of like the demo going and then versus the early access version, for people listening to this right now, what's kind of the difference or will there be a difference between the two? Mostly just in terms of what
1: content is available.
2: Yeah, uh, with demo you are limited to four levels and uh, in the early access version you have six levels plus and boss fights. And you can unlock the three other characters and, of course, unlock new items and challenges.
1: Yeah, so basically half of the first world and only one character. Yep. All right. And
0: uh, normally I wait till the end of the cast to talk more about, like, general logistics regarding the Early Access game, but I figure since we'll switch over to talking more about roguelike design in the next few minutes, uh, let's... uh, I guess we'll do that part here. So uh, for people listening to the cast right now, like we said, Gertie has a planned early access date of December 3rd. Uh, How long do you figure Gertie will stay in EA for?
1: Well, that is (laughs) the million dollar question because, uh, Mm -hmm. well, not not to get uh, too much into specifics, uh, there's still some, you know, stuff going on in, inside the team that you know people kind of come and go and it will really depend uh, a bit on that because as a small team if one person you know has to leave mm-hmm. or has to take a break it it always you know causes quite a bit of delay because you know <laughs> someone else has to pick up the slack yeah. but uh, we're hoping that we would be we will get the full game done uh, sometime during the summer Hopefully. Hopefully. But but yeah.
2: It really depends on the amount of feedback that we get. If we really need to revamp some systems, it's going to take a little bit longer, mm-hmm. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. That is, of course, one of the major things because, you know, early access will be, or at least we hope, will be great to get some, you know, tons of feedback. But if it, if it's feedback that makes us say that, oh, oh God, we really have to <laughs> redo a lot of <laughs> things, then, of course, that's going to push us back also, so... Mm-hmm. We, we really don't have a definite lockdown release date yet because we'll have to really see how the early access goes. Yeah.
2: All
0: right. And for people listening to us right now, in terms of the early access version to what we consider the full version, what are you guys planning on adding like over the course of the early access?
1: in a nutshell there will be a, sec- a second fully playable world which will be you know like like the first world there will be uh, six normal levels or stages however you want, however you want to say it and a second uh, final boss fight which will then end uh, with a nice little uh, cinematic, (laughs) kind of like our intro. And maybe there will be something extra, maybe also? (laughs) Some secrets? Who knows? Maybe there's a secret level or something like that. Yeah, maybe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And um, I'm glad you guys mentioned the levels, because that actually reminded me of one other question about Gertie. One thing that I thought was very interesting was that as you – obviously as you guys know over the course of these six main levels you can get like different objectives that will play out differently such as kill like the commander, survive like X amount of seconds instead of just having one general objective over the course I just wanted to get your thoughts on like oh, where did that bit of design come from
1: well, that actually uh, kind of developed uh, somewhat how should I should say uh by necessity, <laughs> like uh, to go into a bit of history. A re- like in our original designs, uh, Gerdie was supposed to be a bit of a more grander game <laughs> than it is now. Like we had plans for four, four unique worlds, but at, uh, you know, at some point, we you know realized that that's a bit of out of, out of our scope. <clears throat> so we decided to you know limit down to two uh, worlds, so we'll actually you know have a more manageable scope. But then, of course, uh, to keep the game. Uh, you know, around the same length maybe, we said, hey, let's, uh, you know, add more levels to the worlds. But then if we just keep the levels, uh, you know, just the same thing point over the and over teleporter. again. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you, you start the level, go to the end of the level. You start the level, go, at the, go to the <laughs> end of the level. It'll get pretty samey if it's just that. So then we started thinking, about, hey, you know, let's add, add objectives to it. We actually, or I think at that point we already had uh, this, uh, which is, uh, Now, one of the objectives is to, uh, you know, uh, find the generator, I think it's called. Like, we already had that kind of in. It wasn't really considered... an objective at that point, it was just a, just a random thing that could happen in a stage. But then we thought, hey, let's expand on that, maybe add some jammers and then, mm. hey, survival stage, that mm. sounds cool. <laughs> and then of course, you know, a mini-boss, yeah, because just one boss per, per, per wall is, that, that's lame, let's add more. <laughs> so yeah, oh, yeah. It, it kind of uh, came from that, that we had originally way larger plans, scale it down, and just make it more interesting, basically. Alright,
0: great. And again, it's always challenging. I mean, that is a topic that is its own podcast. I've said to many game developers about trying to figure out just exactly you know where your core is for a title and then focusing on that instead of trying to go too big with a bunch of different ideas.
1: Yeah, that is <laughs> that, that is a battle we we are still fighting day to day like actually even like right before we started recording this uh Risto was again talking about all, all the ideas we already have you know like how to expand the game because we we have a pretty big document already about stuff we'd like like to add after you know the full release or maybe you know make I don't know maybe make it in, make those some of those into spin-off or maybe like uh, save them for a potential sequel there's just, just so much but we just have to you know try to think that okay scale it down feature creep no no <laughs> <laughs> alright I guess before we move on talk more generally
0: about roguelike design are there any aspects behind GERD, either from a design or a production standpoint that we didn't touch on that you guys would like to bring up now
1: hmm hmm <laughs> that is a good, good
2: question. Uh, um, maybe a little bit about uh, positive design. That uh, Many things that you can do in GERD, they don't harm you in any way. So if you buy an upgrade, it really is an upgrade. Uh, I think it's one of the main philosophies during our design that you can't harm the player. So everything that you buy or do, it should be beneficial to you.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, uh, let's say in Binding Visek, you know, uh, some of the items you can get there, they, they can, you know, give you some uh, up, like, stat boost, but then also some stat nerfs. And we've always kind of tried to avoid that. So, you know, like, al- always build the character up instead of, you know, like, mixing things up too much. hmm yeah, and I, I think, think
2: there's the feature creep that maybe we should do some kind of curses and <laughs> <laughs> nerf the player or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course, there's, there's always this uh, back and forth <laughs> about these things, of course, but yeah. Yeah, and it's always very challenging,
0: especially in, like again, light or like uh, Rogue-style games in terms of just how powerful you want to make the player. And this is something that we've seen, like probably the two big examples I can think of right off the top of my head would be, of course, the buying of Isaac and something like um enter the gungeon in terms of just how strong should the player get over the course of a single play because you have to be aware like from a design standpoint that the player is obviously never going to afford every single item. I don't think any buying of Isaac player in their entire lives has had a game where they've gotten every item in the game. So you can have these very wildly uh, swinging uh, base of the progression. Like again, anyone listening to this cast, like raise your hand. If you had a buying of Isaac run where you were just completely overpowered, and then the second run you were just completely weak the entire time you were playing it. And it can be very hard from like, a balancing standpoint... In terms of how far you want to take these items. I think this is a good transition to one other question that I just thought of. In terms of the item design in Gertie... As you said, you're focusing a lot on passive-based items. Like, from when I play the game, I saw stuff like... Kill an enemy, you get health regen. The ever-popular increased critical chance damage their self-increased uh, you know, movement speed, things along those lines. In terms of a balance standpoint, what was uh, your guys' like general philosophy in terms of how powerful you want those items to be?
2: Uh, c- currently, uh, it was uh, that we should make a b- very balanced game where you can always get to the end if you want, so that mm-hmm. you don't get very too powerful items or too weak items. So... But uh, uh, maybe after watching your roguelike <laughs> video, we have to <laughs> change a little bit about that so that there will be more varied item mm-hmm. powers.
1: But yeah, uh, this has been a topic we've discussed uh, like m- many times, you know, during development, and there's been uh, quite a few balance passes be- because of these things. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, of course, uh, in, at least in the past, we've really tried to curb this overpowering thing that players shouldn't become just death machines mm-hmm. that. That the the game just becomes not a challenge at all. But then again, if we make it so that the items become insignificant, that they don't really feel like anything unless you power them up to the max, then that's also not very you know rewarding to the player. So. There's been a very fine line we've been trying, we've been riding with this thing, and that that is actually a part of the reason also why we uh, decided to ditch our old item mechanic, which was more the risk of rain type mm-hmm. thing. Like, uh, well, you're familiar with risk of rain, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. basically, you could have like let's say twenty or fifty uh, like of the same item. Yes. It, the effect would either be completely broken and ridiculous or it still would feel kind of like, uh, I don't know if it, like, let's say you had uh, two of the, uh, actually, I can't remember, <laughs> a good item from the top of my head. Uh, uh, but uh, like, anyways, uh, just, just yeah. in abstraction, let's say you had uh, two of one item and then later you have 50 of the same item and the difference be- between those didn't you know? Feel that significant. So, mm-hmm. so when we move yeah. moved on to the forge design, we made it so that you know there's very specifically like a, a specific number of uh, levels for the items, and so that each step feels you know at least you know somewhat significant. So the player actually feels good when they each time they upgrade. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think this is actually a really good segue in talking more about roguelike design in general as well. Like, as you said, the challenge with these items is that if you make them too weak, nobody's going to take them. If you make them too powerful, then it becomes a case of every time I play, I want item X. And if I don't get it, then the run is basically loss. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of the issues that I think some of the people I was talking to when we were discussing Risk of Rain, Rain Into, because as you said, there are some items in that game that just flat out break the game, especially if you get 30, 40 copies of it. Yeah. But when you have a pool of even remember off the top of my head, I think it's like good like 40 or 50 items that can possibly drop, it becomes a case of, did I get X? Yes. Then I beat the game. Did I get it? No. I'm never going to beat the game.
1: Yeah, like personally, I—that's th- actually part of the reason why I stopped playing Binding of Isaac. because you know, especially well, I, I even though I haven't even played it with the uh, most recent you know add-ons and expansions and whatever, the item pool has just gotten so incredibly massive yeah. that it, sometimes it just feels next to impossible to get a you know actually useful item because there's just so much. Uh, what I would say filler items mm-hmm. that that just maybe you know boost your stats a bit but they don't really you know give you any specific, significant advantage in your run so it's for me at least it started feeling like you know most of the items don't really matter that much mm-hmm. yeah and I guess here's a question for both of you because
0: regarding that uh, uh, sentiment I've seen similar discussions regarding something like Enter the Gungeon where Uh, Enter the Gungeon, I would say, is a lot higher in terms of the skill curve compared to the Buying of Isaac. So you can get further just on being really good at the dodging and shooting. But when we talk about, like, high level play, beating the game doing like the secret boss, stuff like that, I found it's still very much RNG dependent like if I go into the final world and I don't have at least two really good guns on me I'm just going to be in for a world of hurt
1: yeah that, that's also, also kind of a <laughs> thing that's <laughs> in my opinion at least quite uh, sad, sad in a way when it comes mm-hmm. to roguelikes yeah
2: Ilbo mm-hmm. was the one that demanded that we have to have a system where we can beat the game with the first try, so mm-hmm. that it, it, well, like. it has to be <laughs> skill-based, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so that you don't have to grind like 15 times to get enough power-ups yeah. to Actually, have a chance to beat the game. Yeah,
1: well, well actually, that that was just uh, what, uh, just what you said in your uh, general. Was it the rope? Uh, yeah, something rogue-like
2: about video.
1: Yeah, yeah, roguelike mm-hmm. video. Like, like if the if the game demands you to play you know, like the first fifteen times before you can finish finish yeah. the game, like what's the point of the first fifteen times? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there, there yep. should be this. Uh, General balance that you know you you can finish the game mm-hmm. on the first try, but then of course it should be pretty <laughs> damn hard for you to yeah. do that, so that there is yeah. replayability. But I think mm-hmm. that, that there should be a little bit of
2: random element that you can get quite powerful, so that uh, let's say that you're not so good player and you want to beat the game, but <laughs> your skills doesn't, just doesn't add up. So
1: yeah, that, that yeah. is also... maybe
2: if you want to get uh, <laughs> to beat the game, so it would be. Advisable to have some kind of two po- powerful <laughs> items so that you can the weaker player can pass the game.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's definitely one of the spices that of roguelikes that I, I really li- like also because again going back to buying advice like I remember the you know it's a, couple, a couple of the first times I got for example like brimstone I was like oh my mm-hmm. god I'm yeah I, I'm unbeatable ah. <laughs> so yeah it, it also feels really good sometimes to get that like that spike in power that Mm -hmm. perhaps not like, you know, make you unbeatable, but really make you super powerful. Mm -hmm. And um, as a quick pause
0: and a time check, we are about 47 minutes into the recording. I figure if we move on to roguelike design just in general, maybe another like 15, 20 minutes. That works for both of you. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Back to it in three, two, one. Yeah, and again, with something like Buying of Eyes, and just like with roguelikes and roguelikes in general, you can see that variance just go all across the board. And I think that is probably the perfect segue into focusing on the final part of this podcast, talking more about that kind of design. And again, for people listening, we're going to be spending maybe 15, 20 minutes. It could be even more at this point, but we're not going to be touching on every aspect of roguelike design in this yeah, one little section. Of course, yeah. And I guess as a bit of a fun question, what is the time difference right now where you guys are in Finland?
1: Yeah, there was actually something we uh, <laughs> debated uh, like uh, the, the day before. <laughs> uh, if, we, if if I'm correct, it should be seven hours for us uh, compared to you so currently it's uh 20, 20 uh, yeah 20, 20 to, ni- to 9 in the evening yeah, yeah. okay
0: yeah. And like like for people listening to us, it's always like weird when we talk about this, because most people don't think about like time inversions, but when you're trying to do podcast interviews with people around the world, it gets very tricky like that. So we'll try to keep this on the short side. I don't want you guys to fall asleep at the keyboard as we're talking <laughs>
2: roguelikes. Yeah, thanks.
0: <laughs> but to begin this section then, now we've of course name dropped several notable roguelikes over the last like forty or so minutes it's buying up Isaac, Dead Cells, Gungeon, and so on. I guess for both of you, what has been like your like favorite roguelike, or roguelike? You can choose either one. Like, what's the one that most sticks out in your mind?
1: This is a really easy one for me, I think. I would say most definitely it would be Spelunky. I, mm-hmm. I freaking love Spelunky. I, I've played it a ton of Funnily enough, though, I've probably I might have played it in terms of hours at least uh, less than some of the other you know yeah. roguelikes, but I still love it. Just I love it a bit. It it's just such a well designed game and a, a whole lot of fun. I think it just has such a it has like the perfect balance between like a like a challenge challenging and uh, just. Pure fun and it's still kind of uh, unexpected, even though you might know it like kind of inside out. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me,
2: I don't think that I have a specific favorite. I think the what I've played the most is actually Risk of Rain <laughs> because <laughs> I played over seventy hours. I don't think that any roguelike has gotten me that far.
1: Wait, mm-hmm. o- only seventy hours? Seventy. <laughs> yeah, but now I think. I've played a, played a couple way more than that over, overall, I guess. But, oh, uh, anyways. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, for myself, I think
0: probably the buying of Isaac may be my most played roguelike at this point. I really enjoyed, like, very recently Dead Cells and, of course, Spelunky. That's, that's on my list of roguelikes as well, as one I really enjoyed. And it's always very interesting. Like, we've talked about Risk of Rain. We've uh, Bio of Isaac and Spelunky and they're, all three of those games are very different in terms of how much skill, or I should say quote-unquote skill is needed to win like in the Bion of Isaac, you do like, a good player can still make do very well, but as we said, the items can just completely wreck or save a run, and like I said, like for people listening to us right now, raise your hand if you're a Bion of Isaac player where a Brimstone or an Epic Fetus just completely turned your run around. But with that said, though, with something like Spelunky, there really isn't too much in terms of RNG on that front. Like, yes, the items help, but as I'm sure you guys are well aware of, if you can't Get the platforming down in that game, you will die in like the first ten seconds on just about any Spelunky <laughs> map. Pretty oh, much. But,
2: what are these spikes? Oh. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> my favorite death in that game—I still love. It, I never got to record. Was I was just like casually throwing a rock, it hit a wall bounced back, knocked my guy, fell into a pit, and I killed myself in, like, two seconds of starting the level. I just, like, <laughs> sat there going, I am very glad that I'm not recording this right now. Nobody is going to see this streamed.
2: Yeah. Uh, actually, well, what, I, what I have wanted to add to Gertie, again, <laughs> feature creep, <laughs> would be something like insta death. Traps from Spelunky, but <laughs> maybe it would ma- make the game a bit too hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, of course, that, that would all. It always kind of depends on the, uh, like the execution. Like if if mm-hmm. they are designed. Fairly so that they that you know the player has a chance to avoid them even on the on their first try, I think that is is acceptable. <laughs> but, but yeah, again, mm-hmm. uh, even though we'd love to add everything, gotta gotta try to save those for later, like DLC or yeah. just free <laughs> content or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, a major part of roguelike design, and this question I know we're not going to get a full answer to in like 15 minutes, but it's definitely become an essential element of just about every example of the genre, has to be the random or procedural generated design, be it from... Enemies and games like um, like Zombicide, or uh, basically anything from Solar Entertainment on that front, to of course just like the random or general development of a level itself. And uh, like we said, I think I probably mentioned this on a few of the videos getting the variance right in any rogue based design is very hard to do because, as I'm sure you guys are well aware of, and as you as you've been talking about regarding, like, trying to combat feature or scope creep with Gertie, that there is never, you know, a limit of how much variance you can try and add to a roguelike. Again, you can always add in new uh, textures for environments, new levels, new enemies, and stuff like that. But it's, again, that's pretty much an endless design. So, I guess for both of you, like, when we talk about variance in a roguelike, like what do you like to see in terms of just how replayable a
1: game can get? <sighs> that is quite the question indeed. I know. <laughs> 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 hmm.
2: hmm.
1: Um. What affects replayability,
2: or how would you uh, say the mm-hmm. question specifically? Yeah. Like in Roguelike, what affects replayability is just <laughs> that's the question. Yeah. Yes. And so it, um, yeah, go ahead. I would say, um, of course, uh, from making standpoint, with how you make a game, you always can add more content, but it costs mm-hmm. money. So actually, if you want to make a replayable game, you have to really make your content worth it. Like you have to reuse it a lot. So that it's interesting, so you have to make interesting combinations of your content, like enemies and skills and stuff like that
1: so yeah, mm-hmm. and, uh, just a kind of a i guess kind of a side note this is like not not even a like a, this is not even even not a full answer or anything, but I just want to mention that, like when we speak about, you know, uh, like I said, random and procedural generation, like those terms get you know thrown around pretty you know uh, interchangeably most of the time, especially like in the player circles. Because, but there is there is a significant difference between random and procedural. <laughs> if we want to get down to it, like random yeah. is just random, and procedural is you know at least partly rules-based, that there is some, um, what, God, what, God, what, what's the uh, saying? <laughs> Method behind the madness, let's say. <laughs> so for me, at least, I think you should, at least in most cases, go procedural over random. And I think that's kind of like how Gertie has kind of developed throughout the years. I think there used to be a lot more random the, or things used to be kind of more random but now they are a bit more procedural I'd say mm-hmm. like for example in the past they, the our enemy system used to be more like okay we have this uh, just one large pool of enemies and then we just pick a couple of them at random and then throw them in the level but then uh, how we've kind of moved it now is that there's a much smaller uh, pool for each level that differ, you know, from level to level, so we can better uh, balance the difficulty curve and such. And of course, we've talked about like maybe even making it uh, even more nuanced. That there would be uh, actually I, I can't remember the details of it, but basically mm-hmm. making it making it even more uh, specific for like level to level and and have just more specific combinations of enemies, so that it would be even more like kind of tightly designed, so that it would feel even better, perhaps. Hopefully, at least, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Like it's really important, at least in my opinion, to make the the roguelike feel balanced to a to a degree. Because it's really easy to just you know make things random, yes, just to make it you know quote unquote replayable. Because everything is different each each time you play. Mm-hmm. But it's way more interesting if it's actually you know well. Procedurally generated because there's, uh, you know, there's good rules behind it that make sense, that make it more fun and more engaging and stuff like that. And I think that is definitely that is most definitely part of the reason why I love Spelunky so much. Because you know, if if you've uh, ever listened to anything about Spelunky, you've probably heard about the level generation system that the game has, and it is pretty pretty damn well designed. And it, it, and yet it feels totally like, quote unquote, random, but it is, you know, very, it, you know, <laughs> <sales> <laughs> well designed, even mm-hmm. though it is procedural. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that
0: distinction between random and procedural design. I mean, again, this is another 40-minute question or topic, right in of itself, but. I agree with you on that, and it's another, I think, stumbling block for a lot of new developers when it comes to making a rogue-based game. That, as you said, and as I know I've said this many times over, when we talk about random, anything and everything could happen at any time. And, like, when you first start thinking about design like that, you think, yeah, that sounds great. We'll just let the game just do whatever the heck it wants. <laughs> but the problem with that, of course, is that then you have just a completely just, like, unmanageable experience that you really can't balance or take further. Because, again, if the player loads up the game, takes one step four and gets the greatest weapon, and then, like, the next 50 times they just die instantly that experience is just not going to really set well for someone when it doesn't even matter if they're playing the game or not. Pretty much the game is just doing anything it wants at that
2: point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, one thing that came into mind about replayability is, I think that it's the player perception of replayability. You have to really attend to it. You really should say to the player that hey you are unlocking this new thing that you can encounter and stuff like that <laughs> but if you if you don't tell the player that that there's new content in it hey, maybe player just plays it one time and yeah. Things that yeah, that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Risto really want to make sure, like with our you know unlock system, that people would really notice that you know like there's this huge arrow that hey unlocks available, go here, new things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that's also a very important thing. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if yeah. you're like making
2: random stuff, like you said, uh, mm-hmm. if player don't know that it's it's random, that or let's say that you have two hundred items in your game and you're just randomly seeing 10 all the time and maybe it's the same ones and you just Mm -hmm. don't encounter the new ones at any point. What's the point of having that item for that player?
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And as you said, if the player doesn't realize that there is that RNG in the background... Or that there is probability impacting things, they can start to feel. Of course, everybody's here at line that you know, quote unquote, the game is cheating at that point. Because I'm sure nobody here has ever uttered, "How did I miss a ninety percent chance for something to happen in a
1: rogue
2: style game?" (laughs) (laughs) XCOM. Yeah, missing a one hundred percent (laughs) chance. Oh yeah. That yeah, I'm
0: sure that will happen to me at some point with my luck. Whenever I play a rogue style game, there. But, again, I want to touch on Spelunky again very quickly. Because for Spelunky, as anyone who's played the game knows, it is entirely procedurally generated in terms of its level design. And at some point, if I can ever, like, catch him, you know, like, in a net or something, I want to talk to Derek Yu about this in terms of that level of developing the algorithm for level generation. Because it is just a very fascinating case that a lot of those levels, like, to the untrained eye, look like an original handmade level. And I think, to, like, in my opinion, and I'm curious what you guys think about this, I think that's kind of, like, the pinnacle when it comes to, like, creating a really good procedural engine for a game.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, I've looked into into the, you know, Spelunky's level generation system quite, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know the... Basic logic behind it, pretty pretty well at this point because you know there's there's well you can find tons of videos on it on YouTube yeah. at this point and of course uh, I I still haven't gotten around to it but I hope hope to at some point uh, to you know get uh, Derek Hughes' book Spelunky where he you know actually goes you know way into detail about everything about the game so hopefully when I get around to getting it and reading it I uh, hope to get some more insight into into all those things.
2: Mm-hmm
0: when it comes to, like, roguelike design, another thing that we're seeing, or I know, at least I've been seeing, at least on this front, has been more experimentation into, like, the turn-based side. Again, uh, I can, of course, we could spend an hour talking about Darkest Dungeon right now. Um, I've been playing Slay of the Spire, I know there's been more cases of turn-based design being developed. And... And again this is another question that may be even too big for this discussion but there's that difference and in this respect to what you guys were saying in terms of the perception uh, in terms of the player between an action based game and a abstracted or RPG based design when it comes to a roguelike and speaking of which I want to get both of your thoughts like what did you think of FTL from like a roguelike
1: perspective you and I take this yeah. one first? Um, because I think you've played it way more than me. <laughs>
2: uh, I actually have played like maybe 10 or 15 runs of FTL, but. Um... Well, that's actually more. That's still more than <laughs> okay, me. Okay,
1: okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, what do I think about FTL in terms of roguelike design? Um, I think the star map system is actually pretty good and the uh, pressure ap- that applies. Mm-hmm. from the enemy fleet, but it's not really the roguelike elements of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really thought about a lot of roguelike design in FTL in general, but mm-hmm. what would be my favorite element in mm-hmm. it? I think it's the how you manage your crew and where you get hit and you get to put out fires and stuff like that, it's pretty good and well designed in FTL, the crew management aspect. Mm-hmm. where you randomly get hit.
0: <laughs> and then everything just spirals out of control, just yeah. like in any other situation. Yeah. But uh, the reason why I brought FTL was, I think one of the uh, complaints I had about the game, and Again, this goes back to the idea of generating variance, is that you always have a fixed encounter as the final fight in that game. And what makes that very annoying is that everything else in the game is basically randomly or procedurally placed. And like we said earlier, you can run to that situation where if I don't have uh, weapons X, Y, and Z, I may not be able to beat this boss no matter how great my
2: run was otherwise. Yeah, that's uh, not really a fun way to end your run if you know that you don't have (laughs) enough firepower to beat the final boss. But uh, I think there are many tactics beating the final boss in that game. But uh, on the first run, it's of course impossible (laughs) to know what kind of end boss you are going to have. Mm -hmm. But uh, after that, if you know, uh, know the boss, you can gear your ship towards that. So it becomes a run about getting your ship up to speed to encounter the boss. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, so. I think that all comes down to again to like the power management stuff. That I'm not, I'm not a you know personally a huge fan of like if if your run ends because you know you got bad luck. It always you know feel, just feels bad. You should always you know have a you know a good chance of beating the game even if you you know didn't get uh, some the best items and such so that really isn't too much fun also i really want to men- uh, mention and also correct me if i'm remembering wrong because again i i didn't play ftl a whole lot mm-hmm. but like the uh you know when you enter system, you might get these you know text encounters uh, you know you have two choices of doing mm-hmm. something or not doing something and such uh, do I remember right that they're ba- basically just you know random that do you like let's say that you like you get a distress signal do you want to go go in and try to save the people and uh, then if you take it it's just you know basically a coin flip if you succeed. I think it's random,
2: but if you have uh, some kind of skill that can handle the thing, it shows on different color and you can yeah. safely click that.
1: Yeah, yeah. That that, that was kind of the, what I was trying to remember if there was that because i really wish the game had more of that that it wasn't so much about just you know random coin flips that because even though you know you could say risk and reward but if you really have no way of you know affecting the outcome then it just feels like uh, well i could get lucky or i couldn't oh i didn't get lucky oh well nothing i could do about it so i wish there was more like you could at least affect chances because, although, you know, having an automatic success because of a certain upgrade or whatever, is it, you know, that's great and all. But even affecting the, you, the chances you have would be more interesting, in my opinion.
2: And I think that um, it makes more interesting design if you at least know the chances of success and maybe know a little... Th- with something about what's going to happen if you fail.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you see. can
2: uh, actually think about it, and it, so that it isn't random. <laughs> yeah,
1: if it's just a you know blind choice, do you want to do something and maybe gain something? Um, then it's just mm-hmm. it, it's not really even a choice. It's just kind of a coin flip. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think
2: that uh, the game Renowned Explorers made quite a good game about choices mm. with percentages. Yeah.
0: S- and it's always, yeah, and that's one of my favorite games as well. And you always have to be careful, I think, in terms of how much information the player needs to know when it comes to these decisions. Because, as you said, the difference between FTL and right Explorer is that in FTL, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, it just says, you know, go visit a space station. Okay, well, the space station blew up, you just lost your crew member, good luck. Or, hey, you just got 500 uh, more resources. But the player doesn't know exactly, or doesn't even have any idea about what could possibly happen there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one part of uh, original Rogue-like or Rogue is like (laughs) you really have to just try things out so that you uh, learn them (laughs) so that uh, you just need to try. So it lengthens your gameplay, but maybe it's uh, not a design that is currently up to date.
1: Yeah, well, I, I would say that partly depends on, again, the implementation because like uh, again, uh, since I haven't played FTL so much, uh, I could be speaking kind of out of my ass, but uh, if, you know, you could learn the outcomes better by just, you know, playing it repeatedly, then of course it, it could, I guess it could be more forgiving but, uh, but yeah, I guess it's it's a bit of a kind of you could say outdated, outdated design but then again, there are people who like that kind of thing, so, you know, more power to them I guess. Mm-hmm. Although uh, I wanna quick just quickly quickly mention, uh, going back to Gertie, just just a bit about the uh, player information thing, that that's one of the things we've actually kind of you know <laughs> str- struggled with with Gertie especially when it comes to you know, like items and perks, because uh, we've gone from uh, one and to the other, and then now we're hopefully somewhere good in the middle about like how much information do we need need or want to give the player about each item and each perk, because. At, some, at one point, it was, like, very abstract, like, okay, this perk, you know, power up your... Well, this isn't a uh, concrete example, but, for example, like, power up your pistol, let's say some some perk just says that. And then, okay, okay, powers up my pistol. And then player might be happy with that. But then someone might say, like, well, power's it up, how? Does it give it more, like, more damage, more shot speed, uh, like, burst fire? What, what does it do, exactly? So then... Uh, that, but then on the other hand, if you go like, okay, this, this perk will give your uh, pistol 10% damage uh, every 10th shot, uh, once in every blue moon, or something like that, that it just goes way into too much detail that no one will ever have time to read or don't care to read, then that's too much. So it's always a really tough balance finding the right amount of information to tell the player so that they know to make an informed decision and, but without them feeling like oh, that's way too much text and I don't care about that and so forth. Oh, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little and... bit about uh, positive design because we don't have that kind of choices that can kill your player, at least mm-hmm. like in FTL. So it mm-hmm. helps a little bit on that front so that the player doesn't feel like, hey, that is bullshit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh right, I know we are starting to get a little bit long, so we'll begin to wrap things up, and like we were talking about before we start recording, if you guys are free, maybe either after the release of Gertie or maybe just before, we can always have you back on for more of a live discussion about roguelike design.:
1: yeah, I think uh, at least I would be more than happy to yeah, I'm not, sure I'm
0: not talk, so yeah okay so here's my final question this could either be a very short or a very long one we'll see what happens (laughs) 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 but when it comes to roguelike design for fans of game wisdom you know what i'm about to say there is one term that pops up a lot even more than just saying get good for the dark souls fans listening (laughs) and that is losing is fun And I always hate this term, as anyone who's listening to me or who's a fan knows. But uh, for you guys, designing Gertie and just thinking about roguelike design in general, what do you think about that phrase? Is
1: losing really all that fun? This was actually something I I really started thinking about, you know, listening back to that uh, roguelike video of yours where you Mm -hmm. actually, you know, touched on this very Mm -hmm. subject, that... uh, <clears throat> uh, like I tried to come up with a like, better term for it but I really couldn't r- come up with a really really snappy one but I think like <sighs> <laughs> how should I put this? Uh,
2: maybe uh, I could tell my point yeah, that but... um, it's like um, does the player feel that it was his fault that he died and mm-hmm. does he have a feeling that he can do better next time? If the death invokes that kind of feeling, then it's successful, and maybe the death is kind of fun because you know that (laughs) you can improve and you have more, a better objective to do different next time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. uh, Now, now I've got it. Okay. Learning from failure is fun. Like I think that would be a better way to put it. Like if you just fail because RNG or because just some unfair design or something that you don't really learn anything from, then it's just frustrating. But if it's, like Rift just said, something that, you know, you could, you're like, oh, oh if I just would have dodged that attack or, oh, if I, okay, now I know that the boss has that kind of attack that I should watch out for. Something like that, that you really, you know, you can use the knowledge you gain from that failure, then it, you know, it's fun. Well, like it can be fun, of course. It yeah. always depends on the player, but, you know. Yeah, but at least it's not so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll at least help.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that, again, it goes to a really important point about uh, roguelike design. This will kind of be, like I think, our final thoughts on it, that at the end of the day, the player should feel like they are the masters of their fate in a sense, that it's something that I could have done differently rather than just a game deciding, okay, this is the point where you die now, there's nothing you can do about it. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier regarding that kind of procedural or random based development, that you want the player to feel like the experience is being crafted or tailored to them, which also by extension means that so does success or failure. And it's very hard not only to design that right, but to convince the player that, you know, the game is being fair or just. You know, it's not, you know, that like the uh, sort of Damocles will drop down on them at any given point.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually can't remember if it was, it might have been Mark Brown or probably wasn't extra credits, but... Uh, like some of the uh you know very game uh, game development or game design specific youtube channels quite recently made a video about i think it was like at least related to roguelikes or something and I, they like talked really talked about you know uh random versus i think authored content they you know like named it that and um, you know, you could say like designed or procedurally designed or whatever. The, it really should be, you know, more about the uh, like ha- hand-designed or procedurally generated, so that it's not just random again. So it, it's always way more interesting when it's when you can kind of feel or see that the designer has really thought it out. <laughs>
0: And again, getting to that point is a topic that we could probably spend another forty minutes to an hour on easily. But I know it's late where you guys are, and we've been going for just over an hour and fifteen. So I think we'll begin to wrap it up for tonight. So I'm going to take a shot at uh, pronouncing your names, and I hope I don't butcher things too much. So uh, Risto and uh, Lupo,
2: Lupo. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, Ilpo's name got Elbow. a little bit mangled there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, it,
1: <laughs> but uh, it's a bit easier to pronounce if you think of it like Ilpo. Ilpo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pretty clever. close. Usually, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a bit easier for uh, like uh, uh, Eng- English people to you know yeah. like. Uh, English-American, whatever, English-speaking people to uh, say like that. (laughs) Uh, All
0: right, well, uh, Ilpo, Risto, thank you so much for coming on, and definitely the best of luck with Gertie. Again, for people listening to us right now, we are recording this just in mid-October, so there's still about a month and a half or so before Gertie gets released. So, again, uh, I hope you guys have good luck, and... If you guys are free in the future, it'll be more than great to have you back on.
2: Yeah, thanks, Josh.
1: Yeah, it was a really, really nice chat uh, with you. So, yeah, thanks for this. It was uh, pretty fun. Not a problem. And before I
0: let you guys go, in terms of, like, social media or where people can find you, if you guys want to mention anything right now, definitely feel free. We are trying to <laughs> drive people
2: to our Steam page so that they could wishlist <laughs> our games. Mm-hmm. So maybe people could go to the Steam and type Gertie to search and download the demo and try the game.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, in terms of like actual social media, uh, Gertie is on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, if anyone still uses it. And we also <laughs> have new, uh, our Discord nowadays. If you want to, you know, come in and uh, chat about chat about the game more uh, directly, you can do that. And I think those are the three biggest ones. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Bo- but both of us aren't really that active personally in social media. Like mm-hmm. we don't really ha- <laughs> have much uh, in the way of our uh, personal accounts to uh, like you know shout out for. Mm-hmm. So it's better to just you know contact through Gertie basically. All right. And um, I guess to wrap up the cast
0: then, do you guys have any final thoughts on roguelike design or anything you want to say to any fans listening for us to end this cast?
2: Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Too bad (laughs) questions. Without warnings. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: there's quite a lot that could be said, but uh... yeah I, I suppose it's not really that much about roguelikes, but I think in like game design in general and you know it's also you know tangentially related to roguelikes. really think about your scope. like if, <laughs> as, if you're a designer or game maker like doing a, doing a game, think about your scope and like making a ro- yeah, let's tie it this way. When you're making a rogue, like it could be easy. to think that, yeah, you know, like I can like procedural random content, so easy. Just mm-hmm. all, make all of the, all of the things. It'll be you know, it'll it'll make itself. Mm-hmm. It won't <laughs> really. <laughs> just you know, think of the scope, design it well, and you won't have. Uh, you'll have way few more, uh, way few uh, headaches about the uh, all, all the things.
2: Yeah, maybe a
1: handcraft. Uh your
2: game first with uh, static levels and try to make a procedural system that uh, outputs that kind of levels. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. yeah. I think the strategy don't make all the things. I think that's the best way to... That's the important lesson for today for everyone listening.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, just a final, uh, final one more thing about roguelikes in specific. Uh, quantity is not always... Uh, better than quality uh <laughs> like with procedurals pre- uh, procedural and uh random stuff it's so easy to just make a ton of stuff but really sometimes it's better to have fewer stuff that's way more thought out and more interesting so yeah keep that in mind guys mm-hmm. All right, but I think that is a great point to wrap
0: things up on. So, again, guys, thank you so much for coming on. For people listening to us right now and want to support Game Wisdom and what I do, you have several options available. We're always looking for new guests for a future podcast, be them live or recorded. As well, if you would like to write a guest piece for the site, you can email me at josh at game-wisdom.com or click on Features Wanted on our front page for more information. You can find me on Twitter at GWBicer for updates and thoughts throughout the day and patreon.com slash If You'd like to donate directly. Your donations help to think- keep things going and allow us to add more content. Of course, the Game Wisdom YouTube channel for daily videos on design topics, game spotlights, and our live cast discussions. And we have our Discord channel now open to everybody at the basic tier. You can find an invite link here on Game Wisdom or on the Patreon as well. But that will do it for this week's cast. So thank you again for listening. Tune in next time for another discussion about the art and craft of game design. Until then, have a good night.